Poland and Belarus are in a crisis. For months, there have been people gathering at the border, seeking to migrate and claim asylum. Now, the crisis is engulfing the EU. A show of force on the edge of the EU. The EU says Belarus is waging a hybrid war, using migrants as a weapon. Polish border forces, to stop them crossing into the EU, use water cannon and tear gas. Weaponization of migrants, hybrid warfare. Clearly, tensions are rising. Poland's declared a state of emergency on its border for the first time since 1981. But for the people at the border, this geopolitical dispute is about to get worse. Winter is coming. At least nine migrants have already died. It's very wet, it's very cold. People are not only more tired, not only more hungry, exhausted, but also colder. It's raining, it's windy. People are just slowly dying there. So why has this group of migrants become the center of a standoff? And what will happen as temperatures drop? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Anna Albot. I work for Minority Rights Group International. I'm working together with activists on the Polish-Belarusian border. Anna sent us voice notes from near the Polish side of the border, where she's on alert to help migrants who make the crossing and are fighting shortages on almost every front. They don't have food, they don't have water. Their telephones and power banks stop to work, so they don't have contact with their families. What we as activists are trying to do is something that big humanitarian organizations should be doing. Whenever we get a call from somebody in the forest, we get warm food, we get water, power banks, telephones, jackets, hats, gloves, and we bring them to the people. Among the migrants are people like 25-year-old Aryan from the Kurdish region of Iraq. He told us he was migrating to find a better life in Europe. But what he found was the opposite of what he expected. Among us are old women, old men, sick women, and children too. We are in a bad situation now, which is totally not what we expected or prepared for. To be left in this harsh weather between two great countries like Belarus and Poland. Our children's health is getting worse day by day. A lot of our people were screaming for help for their children, asking for medicine, because they were getting the flu or colds. One of the children got sick. He has fever and chills now. The Belarus police took him, but we have no clue where they were taking him. They didn't let any of his family members escort him. Ariane said the food and water shortages have made life difficult. None of the countries allowed us to enter their borders to bring food and supplies for the others, even though we tried a lot and asked them if it's just two people to get the whole supply for the others, and yet they didn't accept it. To understand the situation that led people like Ariane to the border in the first place, I spoke to Belarusian journalist Hanna Lubakova. She's in exile from Belarus, 
following a crackdown by President Alexander Lukashenko. That happened after his disputed re-election in 2020. I'm a journalist and I'm a non-resident fellow of the Atlantic Council. So how were people getting to Belarus in the first place? What do we know about what's happening and how people are ending up on the border? So there are several tourism state-owned agencies in Belarus that started selling these visa packages for people in the Middle East to go to Belarus and go to the border with the EU, offering basically a fast track to go to the West. And many people believed in those promises. They paid thousands of dollars to get these packages. They flew to Belarus, to Minsk, from Iraq, from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Turkey, from other countries in the Middle East. And from there, they would take taxis or buses and go to the border. And uh, in many cases, they crossed the border successfully. So the whole migration crisis started late spring, early summer, and it basically continued throughout uh, the summer, throughout all these months. Poland alone says it has recorded some 30,000 attempts to cross the border, compared to last year when there were just 120. And they're basically now being kept between the two fires. Belarusian border guards who are armed, not allowing them back to Minsk or other cities, and Polish border guards are not allowing them in Poland. These tour packages, where did this idea come from to offer packages to expedite the migration to Europe? This is Lukashenko's um, idea to escalate the situation, to destabilize the West, to destabilize Poland and Lithuania. So he came up with this idea in May, at least. That's when these contract between one of those companies called Centrokrort and another company from the Middle East. And basically, the idea was to develop cooperation between Middle Eastern countries and Belarus. And from that time, migrants kept coming from Syria and so on. There are dozens of Facebook forums allegedly created by Belarusian internet trolls offering detailed instructions on how to make the journey and who to pay. So they flew with Syrian Airlines or Iraqi Airlines or Belavia, which is a Belarusian um, state monopolist, air, air, airline company. And again, th- these were thousands of people. President Lukashenko denies that the migrations were organized by Belarus. Here he is on Monday. We are ready to put everyone on planes which will take them back home. But these people, I must say, are very stubborn. No one wants to return. As for the airlines, at least three have limited sales of tickets from some Middle Eastern countries to Belarus. Turkey has announced that it will halt flights for citizens from countries including Syria, Yemen and Iraq from traveling to Belarus. So did Chamwings from Syria. Others will follow. And at least one country, Iraq, says it will start voluntarily repatriating its citizens this week. So let's backtrack a little bit to before this dispute. Can you remind us of what the main issue between Belarus and the EU was that we should know about? On the 9th of August uh, 2020, Lukashenko lost the presidential election, and there were massive protests, and his security forces basically attacked people. Thousands were put into jails around the country, and there was a lot of violence on the streets. So the level of repressions is unprecedented. 
And um, Lukashenko, his regime basically uh, was sanctioned by, so far, four packages of sanctions by the EU, but also there were US sanctions, the UK and Canada also joined. Last year's disputed elections, subsequent street protests, political repression and Western sanctions have severely strained Belarus. Lukashenko has no remaining bridges to the West. So the response from the West was quite harsh. And Lukashenko, he's a very resentful man, and he decided to respond with this migration crisis. And that's something that he, he sort of warned the West with. That was back in May. His exact words were, we stopped drugs and migrants. Now you will eat them and catch them yourselves. That was his retaliation. That was his revenge and his response. And basically, that's why this uh, crisis appeared. But also, this is very artificial. What was the impact of these sanctions on Belarus or on the government? I could not say that the impacts of the sanctions have been substantial yet, because those sectoral sanctions, most painful ones that were imposed in June 2021, have not come into full force yet. So... It's something that Lukashenko tries to prevent. He's so scared of sanctions that that he has to escalate. He has to raise the costs. He has to force the EU and the West in general to negotiate with him so that the EU blinks first, not him. Because he's been isolated politically, economically, diplomatically, and he wants to come back to the status quo when he has been legitimate leader of Belarus, when European countries speak with him and invite him to come and so on. So that's why this migration crisis is happening right now, because he's scared of the sanctions coming into full force. So far, it doesn't seem to be working. The EU accelerated a fifth round of sanctions on Belarus and has made strong statements on behalf of its member states, like Poland and Lithuania. But the crisis has also highlighted Europe's own internal divisions. And to hear more about that, we spoke to a European analyst originally from Poland herself. My name is Joanna Hossa. I'm the deputy director of the Wider Europe program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Joanna says that the migration crisis is a move by Lukashenko to show that he still has power, even if it's destructive power. But she also doesn't see it having the intended effect. He wants to show Europe that he can create trouble if he wants to. The European Union is trying not to engage in Lukashenko because they don't recognize him as the legitimate leader. Discussing the issue with basically a blackmailer would not lead anywhere. But another thing the crisis has done is highlight a controversial response by Poland, sending the people at the border back to Belarus. Poland's current conservative government was first elected in 2015 on a wave of anti-migrant sentiment across Europe, especially in Eastern Europe. These pushbacks, as they're known, are against international law. But in October, Poland passed a law of its own. Turning now to Poland, politicians there have passed a controversial bill that allows border guards to immediately expel migrants who've crossed the border illegally, even if they are asylum seekers. So this is a law that the Polish government introduced very recently to legalize the pushbacks on the Polish part, even though this is illegal under European law or international law. Basically, Poland, uh, under international law, is obliged to 
accept these people on the territory and give them the chance to apply for asylum and then consider their asylum claim. This obviously can take many months. And uh, so far, the Polish government doesn't want to do that, uh, prefers to violate international laws and, and push the people back to the Belarusian territory. Those pushbacks put the EU in an awkward position on multiple levels. First, because it wants to support Poland, even though its actions are against European law. Second, because Poland doesn't want support from the European border agency, Frontex. So far, Poland's nationalist government has refused help from the EU's frontier agency, despite reports by Polish border guards of hostile behavior and threats from Belarusian forces. That's because if Frontex were there, Poland wouldn't be able to do these pushbacks as it pleases. It is a very difficult crisis for Europe as well. So Polish border with Belarus is the EU's external border as well, of course. That's why the EU is interested in managing that crisis. But Poland insists on its ultimate sovereignty over pretty much everything now. So in some right-wing circles in Poland, now you can hear that basically Poland is facing an attack on its sovereignty from the east, so from Belarus, but also from the west. Uh, it's not an attack on the border, but it's an attack on Polish institutions. Behind all of this is Poland's own backstory with the EU. For months, it's been locked in a battle with Brussels over issues of rule of law. Poland has made controversial changes to its justice system that the EU refuses to accept. But Poland has said its national laws trump those of the European Union, which makes something like a migration crisis especially thorny. So they don't want to have the EU on the Polish border because Brussels is often depicted as this almost devil <laughs> who wants to control everything in Poland. And now they might take control of the border so even if this sounds uh, ridiculous to most people, I believe there are groups in Poland that believe in this narrative and the government, I think, is interested in keeping these groups happy. Anna, the migration aid activist near the border, has seen how the number of pushbacks by Polish authorities has grown. They've been condemned by the UN as well. Some of the families experienced pushbacks five, eight, even ten times. Some, during pushbacks, are beaten up by Polish and by Belarusian authorities. Belarusian authorities have dogs. I have seen several dog bites on people's legs. Now, when people have experienced few pushbacks already, they know that even trying to apply for asylum on the Polish side will not protect them, that they will be anyway taken on the car and instead of taking them to refugee facilities, they take them behind the border, they push them through the fence to Belarus. Then Belarusians do the same. And that's this never-ending game of treating people like pawns, like a table tennis ball, throwing from one side to another. It's hard not to see this crisis as having cynical roots because... It is people that are going back and forth. And it's been described as ping pong. 
Hana, you've been in touch with migrants who are at the border. What are those conversations like? What does it mean for them to be caught up in this? They were promised this easy route, and many of them had illusions that uh, it would be very easy. They heard from some of their relatives or friends or people who successfully crossed the border that it was just easy. They did not expect such reactions, such response, and they did not expect that it would be so cold. Uh, well, Belarusian forests, Belarusian swamps are not easy to survive. So they decided to come. They paid a lot of money and they came and now they're just very desperate because they don't want to come back to their countries. In the end, the people at the border are facing a crisis that still has roots in the migration wave of 2015, which Europe has never really resolved. This crisis is different because... It is a migratory crisis and a humanitarian crisis in the making, but it is also a willful act of aggression on the part of the Belarusian regime. So Europe approaches it for now, I think, more as, a, as this aggression from the Belarusian regime, more than a humanitarian situation. So, you know, this is a change in narrative because this, this wider context and why it's happening is different than 2015. But Joanna sees changes as a result of 2015 as well. I think that approach to migration has changed across Europe. There is a realization in Brussels that there is only so much that can be done without disturbing the domestic situation in EU member states. All over Europe, we see right-wing parties uh, getting votes gaining more ground, and migration is the often the key issue for them. And they are feeding on that. Europe finds itself in a very difficult uh, moral dilemma here. You know, either put some limits to these migratory processes now, or remain as open as it might want to be, maybe, but then give over ground to other anti-migratory forces that have not just the anti-migration agenda in mind, but also anti-European agenda in mind. So this is a balance that the EU and its member states have to keep in mind. Those lives don't matter for so many people. And this is what breaks hearts of all of us, the activists, when we go to the forest. We do whatever we can. We bring food, we bring clothes, we bring sleeping bags or medicine. But at the end, we have to leave the people in the forest. Can you imagine playing with a small girl trying to cheer her up and then in the middle of night to tell her, I have to go home and you have to stay here. There is nothing I can do more for you. This should never be like this and we shouldn't get used to it. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Amy Walters, Ruby Zaman, Priyanka Telve, Nagin Oliay, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is our editor. Aya Elmilek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. Special thanks to Momen Zelmi. We'll be back. 